0: returning once again to John chapter 15 and the teaching by Christ by by way of parable or by way of analogy of the vine and the branches this of course in the midst of the upper room discourse when Christ is preparing his disciples for his death and resurrection and then ascension his departure back to heaven but also The promise of the Holy Spirit who will, in many ways, replace Christ. Not physically, of course, but is going to replace Christ in the powerfulness of his presence. But a presence that will not be seen with physical eyes, and therefore will only be known and appreciated by those who have spiritual life and spiritual understanding. The disciples were accustomed to having Christ's physical presence and, like ourselves, they gravitated more to the physical because, well, because we are physical beings and we live in the physical universe and we experience most everything that we know about the world in which we live through our senses, physical ways of perception. And it is only by the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts that we can come to a spiritual understanding, and therefore in a position to benefit from and to understand the work and presence of Christ in in, in the person of the Holy Spirit, so that he is not seen and felt and touched and so forth. And that's difficult that's difficult even for christians it's impossible for unbelievers to benefit from that spiritual presence at least in any kind of beneficial way but it is difficult even for many of god's people because we we tend to be more physically oriented more oriented to that which is material than to that which is spiritual but as we grow as we mature As we learn, then we can come to appreciate things that are spiritual with an ever-growing degree of appreciation. And that's what we are finding in this text. Well, I pause and welcome you to this Sunday, December 4. And thank you for joining us for another edition of the Beacon Broadcast. And thank those radio listeners who keep us on the air. We couldn't do it without your Financial help. Let me read the passage and then we'll go back to it. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. A lot in this passage, the last of the seven I Am's in the Gospel of John, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection of the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and here, I am the vine. And in this section, we find Christ's claim to his deity, the one who gives and sustains spiritual life is God, and Christ said, I'm that one. Here are instructions to his disciples, telling them what they must do do what they what they what they need in order to be fruitful and here's a warning to the careless professing christians who are living a careless life the declaration that failure to bear spiritual fruit is a far more spurious, uh, far more serious rather problem than most christians or most maybe i should put it this way most professing christians most church members realize. And all of this is teaching based upon the analogy of the vine, and let me give you the basic elements, and then we shall return to the expanded instruction where we left off last Sunday. But the basic elements are, number one, that Jesus is the true vine. It is, number two, that the Father is the vine dresser. And third, that the followers of Christ are the branches. That's implied. That's not stated, but that's very obviously the intention of what Christ is saying. And then number four, that God is actively involved with all the branches, removing fruitless branches and pruning fruitful branches. There are two categories of branches in this vine and and branches teaching. And it is that some of the branches are fruitful, and some of them are not fruitful, and the teaching is that the ones that are totally unfruitful are removed and cast into the fire. Those, The rest of them, all of the rest of them that are fruitful to some degree are pruned. That, of course, would be not a one-time thing, but an ongoing thing. It happens well, depending upon the operation, it may happen more than once a year, but certainly at least once a year in a in a farming situation. But those who are fruit-bearing branches are going to be periodically pruned in order that they may increase their fruit-bearing, in order that they may bear more fruit than they would otherwise be able to bear. Those are the basic elements of this analogy. Now, let's look at the expanded instruction. And the one that we left off from last week is that believers are created by the power of Christ's Word. Number Verse 3, you are already clean, hearkening back to verse 13, and that speaks of regeneration. You are already cre- clean, we could say you are already saved, because of the Word, which I have spoken unto you. You are clean, you are cleansed, you are regenerated by the Word that I've spoken unto you. God uses His Word, the power of His Word, His Word given life, empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit, but it is the Word of God that brings about this change that we call the new birth, that we call salvation that we call justification, it is by the power of the Word. Believers in Jesus Christ are created by His Word. But the second instruction is that believers have an abiding responsibility, and that abiding is the believer's responsibility. And that's necessary for fruitfulness. I read on, verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now this, a command, an imperative, an instruction, abide in me. You abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so, there is this responsibility that is placed upon believers to abide in the vine. That talks about persevering. That talks about staying in the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, is this teaching that it's possible for A true believer who does not remain in the vine, who does not exercise what is necessary on his part to keep himself joined to the vine, does he thereby remove himself from the vine and in that manner lose his salvation? In other words, is it possible for a person who is truly saved to lose his salvation? Is it possible for a person who's truly saved to decide that he no longer wants to be saved? Is it possible for someone who has been joined to the vine to decide that he would like to be unjoined from the vine? Well, it might seem that way on the surface, and we always realize that, or should realize, that any teaching by way of parable can never match every single detail. We can teach certain truths by this, as Christ does, by this analogy between vine and branches. There's a lot of lessons that can be learned by observing vineyards and what the Bible has to say about about vineyards. And there's just a a lot of spiritual truths that are illustrated by the vineyard, but you can't press every detail. And, of course, what that means is that, though you can illustrate many truths from an analogy like this, you must compare what you are interpreting from the parable, what you are interpreting from a metaphor, what you are interpreting from an analogy, by the didactic portions of Scripture. In other words, you need to go to places where... where Christ is teaching truth, not by way of parable, but just simply teaching, or where the apostles of Christ are doing the same thing. Peter, or, or Paul, or other inspired writers of Scripture are teaching things clearly, and when we do that, comparing Scripture to Scripture and letting Scripture interpret itself, then we realize, well, no, it's not really possible for a true life possessing branch to remove itself from the vine. In fact, this very parable itself indicates as much when it tells us how is a branch removed from the vine? Not by removing itself, but by the Father removing it, right? If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So, a proper interpretation of what this is illustrating goes something like this. Believers have a responsibility to cultivate the relationship that we have with Christ, to cultivate that life-giving relationship where divine life flows into us, and we are in communion with that divine life, And we live by that relationship, and that relationship enables us to bear fruit, and we want to bear fruit and will bear fruit by the grace of God and by the reality of this relationship, and this relationship will never be severed. But there are those who claim such a relationship, but they don't abide, and therefore They are removed because they never were joined in a saving way, only in a superficial way, and therefore did not bear fruit because they really didn't have the life of the vine flowing into them. They're dead branches, and they don't produce anything, and so they are cut off and cast into the fire. But living branches are pruned, that is, they're not going to be cut off from the trunk, but they will have. Leaves and little branches and so forth that grew out of them clipped off in order to make them more fruitful. Anybody who, who works with trees or even other plants, but particularly with trees, knows exactly what I'm talking about. This is the way that it works. But back to the teaching, believers have an abiding responsibility. Even though... It is the power of God's Word that makes us believers, even though it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are joined to the, to the, to the stem, to the trunk of the vine in a life-giving relationship so that the life of God is flowing into us. We, we didn't do that. We can't do that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit joining us in that way. But even though that is true, we, after we have been joined so that we have life and have ability that we didn't have before, we have a responsibility to value that relationship, to cultivate that relationship, to improve that relationship through the means that God has given to us, and not to take it for granted, not to be careless about it. Abiding is the believer's responsibility, even recognizing that we wouldn't be abiding if he hadn't joined us to the branch or joined us to the, to the vine, and recognizing that we have promises that that relationship will never be severed if it is a true saving work of God rather than a counterfeit superficial profession. But if it is a saving work of God, that relationship will never be severed. That does not lead us to conclude that, all right, nothing for me to do. I can fold my hands, twiddle my thumbs, and, quote, coast comfortably in my easy chair until Jesus comes. No, we have some responsibilities. We must wrestle and fight and pray. Wrestle against our own Adamic nature that is still crying out for satisfaction. Wrestle against the forces of sin and darkness that are all around us. Wrestle against the error that is trying to infiltrate our minds. Wrestle against everything that is opposed to truth and to God. We have to wrestle with this until we are safely home in heaven We must wrestle and work and pray until we are with the Lord. And that's our responsibility. And to the degree that we take that responsibility seriously, to that degree, we are going to be more strongly and more uh, energetically and more fruitfully joined to the vine. And to the extent which we neglect that, we are going to be weaker, and less fruitful, and more in need of the pruning, which will happen to those who are not bearing fruit the way they should. And I remind you of another parable of Jesus at this point, the parable of the the soil and the sower, and of the four types of soil that the seed was sown in, only one actually produced true regeneration— that one, the the, one, the the seed that fell upon this, the hard ground on the pathway, it produced nothing. The seed that fell among thorns sprang up, but it was choked out. It didn't live, didn't abide. The seed that fell among stony ground, likewise, the roots weren't deep enough to abide the hot heat of the sun, so it died out as well and produced nothing. And those are pictures of... Of superficial professions of people who, who appear to others to be Christians, we've all seen that. We've all been been uh, disheartened at times by that very thing—that someone who who sprang up so enthusiastically and seemed so promising died out. And if we don't understand Scripture, don't don't. Careful, Pay careful attention to the teaching of God's Word, we'll draw the wrong conclusion, as many have, namely that it's possible for a person to be saved and they lose their salvation. Why? They were so promising, they were so fruitful, they were so enthusiastic. If anyone was ever saved, they were. That's what our eyes say, that's what our ears may believe. But the Scripture teaches something else. That is a an empty profession of faith, a superficial profession of faith, a counterfeit profession of faith, an emotional response to the gospel, but it is not saving faith. And so, out of the four different types of soil that are found in that parable, only one of the four produced genuine conversion, evidenced by the fact that it didn't get choked out by the thorns. It didn't get scorched out by the sun. It instead grew up and produced fruit. And then this point, which ties in with what I'm trying to say from John 15, of the fruit that was born, some, we are told by Christ, was 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Clearly, among believers, there are different Levels of fruitfulness. But please note that there is nothing that indicates a no-fruit-bearing Christian. Every Christian, true Christian, every true Christian bears some fruit. But some are more fruitful than others. And what is the reason for that? And that takes us back to this. It's the believer's responsibility to cultivate this abiding relationship with the vine. And to the extent that we do, we will be more fruitful. To the extent that we neglect that, we will be less fruitful. And Christ then comes along to those branches that are not all that fruitful, and he prunes them so that they will bear more fruit. Isn't that what we're told? Now we move on to another lesson, which is that failure to abide has serious consequences. On to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, He is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Failure to abide in Christ has serious consequences, described here as withering and removal. Withering, that is fruitless and lifeless and dead. I've got a couple of trees in my property right now that have branches like that. They need to be cut off. Haven't done it yet, but they need to be cut off. They are fruitless, they are lifeless, they are dead. They produce no leaves, they produce nothing. They're, they're dead branches, still joined to the trunk, but withered and fruitless and lifeless and dead. And those who are in that condition are removed. They are cast out as a branch. That is, they are cast out like a dead branch is cast out or removed. When I do get around to cutting those dead branches off the trees that I'm thinking about at the moment, where are those branches going? To the fire. To the fire, as long as we're still able to, to burn them. I live in a rural area where it is permissible for me to burn uh, dead visit vegetation from my property, though. I, as as the city's growing closer and closer around me, I suspect the day will come when I'll no longer be able to do that, and then I'll have to come up with another, another solution. But the most common way of dealing with those things is to burn them, and that's what we've been doing for years. We've been living there for thirty years, and all of these years, that's what we do: we gather up dead branches and we burn them seems like sometimes there's, <laughs> there's, there's so many of them, we can hardly keep up with it. After a storm, uh, after, after um, a change of seasons and so forth, we sometimes just are, are amazed at how many dead branches have fallen off the trees. We didn't have to prune them off. They fall off. There they are. They need to be gathered up and thrown into the fire. And some of them need to be cut off because their condition reveals that they have no life. And that's the point. As we come back to what this is teaching about, about Christians, and I'm including in the Christians those that are both genuine Christians as well as those who have made a false profession but consider themselves to be Christians— But failure to abide in Christ has serious consequences. If there is no evidence of life, it is because there is no life, and the result is to be burned in the fire. Do I need to suggest to you what that is illustrating? Burning in the fire? Serious consequences. But we further learn that successful abiding is dependent upon Christ's Word. And that takes us to verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. That reminds us again of the power and the place of the preeminence, the importance of God's Word. Verse 3 told us that we are created as believers in Christ Jesus because of His Word. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. It was that word of God that God used to bring us out of spiritual death into spiritual life. And now we read that it is that word also that that maintains that life within us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. And then it goes on to talk about that wonderful prayer promise, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And we will look at that briefly, probably on the broadcast next week. But for purposes now, the point is that true believers have their spiritual life nourished, maintained, strengthened by what? The Word of God. That is Taught to us in so many different places, in so many different ways, it's just astounding how much of that is ignored by so many Christian people who seem to have the idea that they're going to be sustained by having their emotions strengthened, emotions energized. And so instead of looking to the Word of God to help them continue abiding in Christ in a fruitful way, they look to christian music of a kind that seems to energize them emotionally they look to a certain style of church ministry that seems to energize them emotionally instead of looking to the bible their own study of it instead of looking to the bible that it is the center of worship where they where they choose to worship and join themselves together with a body of believers. Instead of looking to the Word as the God declared, God ordained and God declared means by which he sustains his people, they foolishly, stubbornly, carnally look to other things. Some no doubt, because they are lifeless branches that really have no spiritual life, and that's manifested in their fruitlessness. They are only claiming to be Christians. They, they really can't benefit from the Word because they're not spiritually constituted by the work of regeneration to enable them to benefit from the Word. That's why some people avoid it. But how many true Christians are so foolish by choosing other means when the Bible tells us what God uses to sustain our spiritual life? Until next week, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.